some of the ladies of the mission and I had a really fun week a couple of weeks ago leading our mission's first ever Pastors Wives Conference. Yeah, and so that's what we're going to spend this podcast reviewing and talking about. Uh, and I hear that it was a incredible success and everybody the pastors and everyone are already asking me to make it even longer next time. Yeah. Yeah. Donald mentioned that the other day. I don't day. know the pastors want their wives gone longer <laughs> or, or if the women just enjoyed it that much. I haven't yeah. figured that part out yet. I think they did. I think the women really enjoyed it. Personally, I don't want my wife gone longer, but <laughs> no, we'll figure that one out as the time comes. But right now we are in the middle of clinic ministry. And we've done two days of clinics so far. You led the team for one day and I mm -hmm. led the team for another day. And we have 10 more days of clinics that are going on. And I'm sure we'll talk more about clinics maybe next month after it's all said and done. But you can definitely be praying for us as we're going all over southern Malawi. We're also in the middle of a third wave of COVID here in Malawi and really all of southern Africa. Yeah, so everybody at home thinks it's over and we are so jealous. And but we've had a pretty good experience most of the so-called pandemic, but now that everybody in America is just moving on, we have the third wave. Yeah, which yeah, we did. We never had a lockdown thankfully here in Malawi. Or anything like that. Um, we wear masks in the major shops and that's pretty much it. Yeah, but right now, um, international travel to Malawi is shut down for everybody except residents and Malawians. Uh, so no visas for tourists or mission teams or anyone like that. That's completely shut down for an indefinite period of time. Which is so frustrating, but... Yeah. Um, we know that the Lord is sovereign, even yeah. over COVID. And we have some other regulations being put into effect, and we're still kind of figuring out what that means for the next few months and um, how long is this going to last. You know, we're back to that uh, period of uncertainty that everybody experienced all of last year and into the first of this year. It's still here. Yeah. Yeah. Which we had the second wave in January, and it. I was looking back at the numbers the other day, and it was pretty short-lived. It didn't yeah. last more than a month. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that this one won't either. Yep. Well, let's hope and let's pray. But today, let's get into our conversation about your conference that you put on. I'm Josh. And I'm Stacey Lee. We're missionaries in Malawi with Gospel Life Global Missions. And this is the Gospel Life Podcast, where we talk about missions, Malawi, and more. In this episode, we talk about our Pastor's Wives Conference. So you did something for the first time ever, first time ever for our mission here in Malawi, too, that uh, we had a pastor's wives conference. I'm all, always teaching the pastors and we gather them without COVID. We were gathering them four times a year um, to have modular classes, but uh, never have we gathered pastor's wives. And so we finally got around to doing that. Yeah, we just since we've lived here, we've had a few issues come up here and there where we've seen um, the pastor's wives really have a need for discipleship and biblical teaching. And it was made clear to us how much the wives can either help or hinder their husband's ministry. I'm sure that anybody who's gone to seminary or gone into the ministry has heard the little saying to especially to single guys who are called to the ministry the wife you have will either be your greatest help or your greatest hindrance in ministry and um, we're definitely seeing that in the churches in malawi uh, for example one of the things that happens is sometimes there's rumors about a man that he's 
doing things he shouldn't. And we've had some of these pastors' wives get into fights with other women because there's a rumor that their husband is sleeping with that other woman. And, you know, sometimes it's true, sometimes it isn't. Um, But um, just teaching them for one thing to how to deal biblically with conflict in the church. Mm -hmm. That's a major issue we see with women. But then uh, we also had a tragic experience. Was this last Last year in 2020? Yeah. So we had a pastor's wife in the lower Shiri who died and she died giving herself an abortion out in the bush. And so it was, um, it was very tragic, very sad, left behind, of course, her husband, but um, several children. And it just really put on our radar the need to strengthen these women in order to strengthen the churches. So, so we met, we met in two groups, just like the pastors do. We went first down to the lower Shiri for a day and a half. And then we did another, the same day and a half with a different group up here in Zomba. Um, we had, I took, um, Eunice, also known as Ma Jessica. If you, if you follow me on social media, you see Jessica a lot in some of my pictures. She's our neighbor and Abe's or little best friend. For short, Ma J. Ma J. Yeah, yeah. That's what we call her the most. Um, anyway, her husband Wilkes is, um, he's kind of the property caretaker here in our Zomba campus. And he's also the pastor of gospel life Baptist church. And before that he pastored a church up on Antonia mountain for several years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we took her and also took Susan, who is Isaac's wife. Um, Susan is a nursing student. And so she went specifically to talk about some health things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you took Janet, who was the, the translator. She's my yep. assistant, but also translator for women's ministries. Assistant, translator, and Chichewa tutor extraordinaire. Yes, yes, and, all those things. And uh, yeah, and so we had a good time. I, oh, and you took Hannah. <laughs> we also took Hannah, Maje's younger uh, baby. Yeah. Um, she's quite the little spitfire. Yeah. <laughs> she's so fun. Um, anyway, so Majay, she talked to the ladies about, um, some practical parts of being a pastor's wife. And then in the evenings in the lower Sherry, Michael's wife and up here, Majay, again, they talked more about Mm -hmm. some things about being pastor's wives. Um, like I said, Susan gave a very helpful, very well-received, very needed health talk. Um, like we said about the abortion was one of the things that made us decide to do this conference. Yeah. And so you're talking about fertility and, and planning and those kinds of things and what types of, of interventions like abortions are unbiblical yeah, and what more biblical options are for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of just basic, like know your body kind of stuff that they're just never taught. Yeah, Some personal hygiene things that Susan said are, are really common things that women deal with, especially out in the villages, mm-hmm. which you can understand, you know, they're like taking bucket baths with water they brought from the Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she, she got a lot of questions in both locations, a lot of feedback. And that was, it was really helpful for the ladies. Mm-hmm. And what did you talk about? And I talked about, um, the Bible, the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Mostly I, I, the main part of my message, like when I was trying to pin down exactly what I wanted to talk about this time was, are you sure you're a Christian? Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought for this first year, I mean, their husbands have been called into ministry, but we don't really know their stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a preacher and even teaching pastors, you have to always assume that there is someone in the congregation who is self-deceived. Yeah. At least one, probably many more who are self-deceived about their relationship with Christ. And especially 
these women who haven't necessarily had, uh, we don't know if they've had great teaching and have ever necessarily heard a really clear, concise, biblical presentation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think it's very safe to assume that many of them aren't true believers, or at least even if they are true believers, need to grow in their ability to say, this is what the gospel is. This is what I believe. Yeah. So we passed out gospel tracks that um, Josh has written and designed that have just four easy points and a few short scriptures. Um, and Do you know the points? Um, God is your good creator. God is good. Uh-huh. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. Jesus is your savior. Uh-huh. And re- confess and confess believe and the gospel. Believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first session of each conference, I just went through those with them. And really, as a, I presented it as like, this is how you share the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, do you even know this? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so that was good. And then we, in another session, um, we studied Titus chapter two, one through five, Mm -hmm. um, about older women should teach the younger women. And it gives a lot of, a list of things that the older women should teach. And so from that, I was able to go into a lot of things that they should and shouldn't be doing because, you know, if you're teaching these things and you need to be doing them yourself and knowing them, um, and, and was able to use that to say, like, is this what your life looks like? Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't, then there's bad news. Um, and then, of course, give the good news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then in my last session, we went through Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, and the works of the flesh yeah. and contrasting those. So. Yeah, and it's just interesting with that passage, because I I find myself coming to it a lot with pastors as well, because traditional culture in Malawi, like traditional culture in America, like traditional culture everywhere, teaches us to deal with situations in our life through the works of the flesh. Yes. Through gossip, through anger, through violence, you know, that you have to stand up for yourself and fix this situation yourself in this way or that way in that way. And so that's what the default is for all human beings. Mm -hmm. And it's expressed variously, slightly differently through different cultures. But in general, that's what everyone's defaulting to. Whereas the fruit of the spirit is otherworldly. It's, it's beyond our capability apart from the spirit. And yet as Christians, because we have the spirit and we're to be walking by the spirit, this is what our lives are supposed to produce. And so to put that before people as this is the goal, don't deal with conflict, don't deal with situations in this way, deal with it in this other way, I think was essential for what you were doing. Yeah, for sure. And I'm made sure, you know, I was, didn't want to just give them a list of these are things you should and shouldn't be doing, but really emphasizing that this is the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Yeah. And these are things that are naturally going to be happening or not happening yeah. as you walk by the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And so encouraging them to seek to walk by the Spirit. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I. We're going to talk about the response of the women a little bit later, but I'm sure they really enjoyed it all and and were eager to learn more, except for some of the old women you told me that were sleeping throughout every session. But (laughs) their husbands do the same when they come to school, too. They just can't stay awake for some reason. Yeah. In the lower Sherry, of course, it was warmer down there. It was still pleasant, but warmer. Because it's wintertime. It's just... Like 90 degrees down there instead of 110 degrees. Exactly. Um, So after lunch, a lot of them were dozing. And so in my after lunch talk, I I think I'd stopped it twice in in the hour and had them get up and like we would sing a chorus or I'd have them do some silly motions like jump on one leg and turn around and stuff. And that helped wake them up. 
it's always hard because they eat sema for lunch, mm-hmm. which is so heavy in you, in your stomach. And then it, you're warm in the afternoon. Yeah, it makes your blood sugar there. just crash. Yeah. And as a teacher, you're feeling the same thing they're feeling. Yeah. And so from like one o'clock, two o'clock to three o'clock, it is just a struggle. Uh, and you have to do things like that to yeah. keep everyone alert. And it's worse in the lower Shiri because we're in a pavilion instead of in a classroom. And it just makes things that much. And it's warmer there. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the women brought their babies and toddlers. Mm. Um, And so that was a fun difference between the pastors and the pastor's wives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael, who is uh, in charge down there at the lower Shiri, I was talking to him about it. And he was like, I just didn't even anticipate, you know, having to think about extra beds for the toddlers. And I do have to give it to Michael, though. He did think to buy lots of candy for the kids. Not candy, but like the puffs. Oh, did he? I thought he was getting getting. He said sweets. I thought he meant candy. Oh, maybe he got candy, too. But he bought a bunch of little personal size bags of puffs. Okay. And gave each kid one every morning. So for our listeners who don't see these every day of their life, they're kind of like puffy Cheetos, sort of, but not so cheesy flavored. Yeah. Like, you know, those big cheese ball puffs that you can buy in America. They're kind of like that, but not so cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. And every kid eats them like crazy. Yeah. They're cheap and yummy. Kept the kids occupied. Yeah. Somewhat quiet so you could teach and do your your thing. Somewhat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were more restless in the afternoon, but that's... Yeah. Um, I got the chance to preach up here in the Zamba conference to the women mm-hmm. in the lower Shiri each morning of the conference, the two mornings Michael preached. And, uh, but here I did the, the morning worship on the, the opening day and the second day. And I told the women that I've been preaching at this point for, uh, I started preaching when I was 14 years old. So now I'm, 35 so for Mm -hmm. 21 years i've been preaching and i think that was the first time i ever preached to a room full of just women (laughs) so that was interesting yeah um but they were very attentive very respectful and and um and in my sermons i don't know what michael talked about i'm sure it was good but uh for my sermons i've told them first i was preaching about uh, being a godly husband, because I'm always teaching about family, it seems, with the pastors. And I've told them what they ought to do, but I thought it might be helpful for the women to know what I'm telling their husbands they ought to do. Yeah. So I talked about that the first day. And then the second day, I talked about being a godly wife and a godly woman. Cool. Yeah. They they cheered a lot <laughs> throughout the sermons. So so they really liked it. Yeah, apparently. Good. Yeah. You gave the women some, some Bibles as a gift? Yeah. So we've had, you know, people over the last couple of years donate generously to our Bible fund. And that allowed us to give all the pastor's wives their own Bible, which is huge because probably less than a handful in each location actually brought a Bible. Yeah. And those were their husband's Bibles that yeah. they had borrowed. Yeah. And it's been a while since we've talked about these Bibles. So some of our listeners may be new since we kind of started that campaign a couple of years ago. The Bibles that we give are what's called the modern Chichewa translation. And it's uh, made by the people at Biblica, which is uh, associated with with the New International Version. And it kind of parallels the NIV. And for a lot of people in Malawi who have the traditional translation, it's very difficult for them to read. I mean, it'd be akin to us trying to read KJV, uh, but some people say it's even worse because there's a lot of spelling differences. There's a lot Mm. of vocabulary differences. 
it's a very difficult translation for the average Malawian to read and understand the traditional one. Yeah, which no hate on the KJV. We both grew up on KJV. Right. Yeah. Love it. But yeah. I mean, even people who love the KJV have to admit it's kind of hard to and, understand. And in some you places. have to you have to admit that most people who read the KJV or grew up with the KJV in America had a pretty good schooling experience where they learned to read at a very good level. Yeah. Whereas in Malawi, you may have people who can read, but their reading ability is very low. Yeah. And so then reading something that is almost another language at a low reading level means you're not getting anything out of what you're reading. Right. And so to have this translation with updated language, updated vocabulary, updated spelling has been really great. And the pastors have given me wonderful feedback about um, how much more they're understanding the Bible from having this. And so that's the pastors talking. So think about their wives. Women are usually even less educated yeah. than men. Yeah. So um, hopefully this will really, really pay out in the long run in their spiritual life. And they have these great vinyl covers that make them really durable for yeah. village life. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is super cool. Yeah. We, we had the option of getting paperbacks, but I knew in the villages a paperback's going to last maybe six weeks Yeah, in those conditions. And so we got these vinyl covers and, um, and, you know, I see the guys bringing them back again and again and again, uh, to pastor's schools and they look, they look in good condition. Mm -hmm. Um, even the ones that you can tell they've been reading and marking it up still, it seems like the binding is lasting. And so I think the investment that people are making in the Bible fund that we have is really, is really worth it. We're really making the most of what, what they're giving. Yeah. And I told the ladies when we gave them out that when they come back next year, I hope to see that their Bibles are more dirty and worn because they're they're reading them and they're using them. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about why we chose to do a pastor's wives conference instead of just a women's conference. Um, so if we had had a women's conference first, we would have had so many women we couldn't have housed and fed and right. it would have been outrageous. And then, um, so then how do you choose like how many women from what church or what women from what church is just impossible for us as the mission to figure out who the best teachers and things from each church are. And so, which we do also have the Sunday school teachers. Yeah. Conference. We have a Sunday school teachers conference, which is mainly women, but there's also men that come mm -hmm. to that. But, um, and so there's also then the issues of being a pastor's wife and being yeah. the right hand of, of her husband. And so that's what led us to make it specifically a pastor's wives conference. Mm -hmm. It was manageable. It was more, um, what's the word, focused yeah. on the needs of pastor's wives, which is, which is significant. You've been a pastor's wife. I have. A couple of times. Yeah, it comes with unique challenges. Unique challenges. Your, your mother said you couldn't be one. <laughs> she was wrong. We I were, did. When we were dating. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I was a very good one, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> But she said you couldn't be one because you had dropped out of piano lessons. That's right. Yeah. And of course, in the American South, at least, a, pian a pastor's wife has to know how to play the piano. You know, I was telling Isaac that story yesterday at the clinic, and he said, you know what? I never thought about it. But whenever at college in Zambia, we had pastors visit and do be like a guest lecturer. Their wife always played the piano. <laughs> was it Carlton who told us one time when he was interviewing at churches, like so many of them would ask him, can your wife play the piano? <laughs> and he would be like, why is this a question? Yeah, and so you get a lot in America, in American churches, you get a lot of very unbiblical expectations put on pastors' wives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, I remember hearing someone complain 
about not about you although i'm sure people did complain about you i'm sure uh but it was a a friend of mine that uh, they were complaining about his wife and how she didn't just like canvas the sanctuary on sunday morning and you know greet everybody Mm -hmm. in the congregation and i told them listen she's got like a five-year-old and a three-year-old she's just trying to get them from sunday school to worship and get ready to make them sit down and be quiet for an hour. Like you can't expect her to go greet everyone in the congregation when she's got small children. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hardest is to be a pastor's wife with small kids. Yeah. And to try to balance those expectations with just, just trying to keep your kids under control. Yeah. And we have, you know, similar, things in Malawi where there are unbiblical expectations on pastors' wives. And for example, probably the most prominent one is we have so much influence from Pentecostalism here. And in Pentecostal churches, a lot of them, the husband and wife are co-pastors of the church. And so even in Chichewa, they most often they call pastor's wives a my abusa. Yeah. Which has kind of a double meaning. It can mean like the wife of the pastor, or it can mean the female pastor. Yeah. The Amai, past- Amai is like woman uh, or mom, and yeah. abusa is pastor. Yeah. So, you know, even in the name we have, it can it can be interpreted to mean this woman is a pastor. Yeah. Which we don't believe right. that women are called and gifted to be pastors, mm-hmm. um, according to the New Testament, especially, you know, First Timothy chapter 2. But uh, so just kind of balancing that, that understanding, no, you are not a co-pastor. And the church shouldn't have unbiblical expectations for you. But at the same time, you have great responsibilities in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Just like encouraging the women from Titus 2 to, to teach the younger women. Um, and I, I really tried to emphasize to them that it is their responsibility to teach the women and to try to you know, lead a Bible study and help the women grow in godliness and in their biblical knowledge. Yeah. And every woman has that responsibility to some degree, right? Right. So it's not like teaching younger women is just for those who have a teaching gift. It's, you know, everyone's going to express that in one way or another, but older women or more mature believers are always supposed to be putting their life and discipling younger believers. And so uh, that may not look like having leading a women's Bible study for every one of these women. Yeah. But for some of it, for some of them who do have the gift of teaching, that's what it does look like, Mm -hmm. but they all have a responsibility to, lead women and disciple women in their congregation. You agree with that? I do. And we had a few questions um, after the talks about about their authority and their role in the church. And I I always brought it back to, um, you know, your husband is the pastor. I don't think that the pastor's wife position is really one of, of what could we say, outward authority. I think the authority of the position comes from the fact that it's a position of of service to the church. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to emphasize, but I maybe could have said it better, I yeah. guess. So, you know, her she comes alongside her husband to help serve the congregation. And I know, you know, sometimes as husbands, we don't always see emotional needs or what's going on in the congregation from a certain perspective and your wife can say hey did you notice this or did you have you noticed that something's not right with this person or i you know and so Mm -hmm. that assists the husband and then sometimes you know as a husband 
you can't necessarily go visit a woman at home alone. Right. And so to have your wife, if she's available and if she, you know, does, isn't held back by children or something to be able to be the one to come alongside you and do those kinds of pastoral visits is so essential. Yeah. So as you can see, it's, it's a balance of encouraging the women to, I think, take initiative and teach and yeah. try to lead the women in their church in a, in a more biblical direction while also encouraging them to not try to take too much authority. And I think you added something there by just saying a biblical direction, because what in Malawian churches that we encounter at least, what is the main emphasis of women or women's ministry? The choir. Number one, choir. And then related to the choir, the choir is important because of funerals, because the choir has a huge role to play in the funerals. And so that's like everything is focused on choir and funerals. And so Mm. Bible teaching to be godly like that. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't even show up on the radar. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And now for our cultural tidbit. On Monday, you were at the clinic near Lake Chiwa and you picked up a chameleon. Yeah. Um, So I was just kind of wandering around, taking pictures, and I came across one crossing the road. And I think chameleons are one of the coolest animals ever. I get so excited every time I see one. Every time I've seen a chameleon, he's been crossing the road. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Why does the chameleon cross the road? I think you only really see them then because they're so well camouflaged otherwise. True. Like you're only going to notice it when it's out in the middle of a road. What happened when you picked it up? So I was I, I was first taking a few pictures of it. And of course, people were staring at me. They were, they were all just kind of watching me and staring Which at me normal. anyway because I'm... A, an azungu, yeah, a white. You just get stared at all the time, no Constantly. matter where you go. Um, yeah. So then I reached to pick it up, and literally everyone there gasped out loud. And apparently, <laughs> I don't know if Isaac told you this, but mm. apparently the women said a certain word, and he yeah. was trying to explain to me that word. And the best translation we could come up with was shocking, but. Isaac said that it was like if you were in the marketplace and you just stripped the clothes off of a woman and exposed her. (laughs) He didn't tell me that. This is the type of word they would have used. He said said to me that it meant something you would never, ever, ever even consider doing. Like stripping the clothes off of a woman in public. Yeah. So we came up with shocking as the best Uh translation. I don't know. Maybe it may be blasphemy. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, they um, apparently they believe that their saliva is venomous. And so if they bite you, it will kill you. Which is not true, right? No, it's not at all. I mean, I don't I've played with a lot of chameleons since we moved here and I think they could bite because when they get irritated, they kind of open their mouth like they might. Yeah. But I can't imagine that it would even hurt very bad. Yeah. Much less kill you. Yeah. They don't have venom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were all absolutely terrified. It was hilarious. I asked Isaac and Wilkes if they had any um, like witchcraft associations because I know owls do. Mm-hmm. And they said no. They just think they're dangerous. Yeah. Hmm. So. But you posted about this on Instagram and some missionaries across Africa chimed in. And most of them seem to say that in their area, it was associated with witchcraft. Yeah. And that they were also super scared of them. Like Mozambique, Kenya. Yeah. Uganda. I don't know. I'm friends with a lot of other missionaries on Instagram. And um, they, yeah, they all said that. But. So far, our reports here is that it's not 
a uh, a witchcraft thing. It's just people are fearful of. Yeah. Yeah. So I had this big group of kids, um, <laughs> and they were all really interested in it and also really afraid. Um, except this one little boy, he was mostly. He was afraid, but he really wanted to hold it, but he never quite did. Uh, And so I got Wilkes to come over and translate for me. And I gave them a little science lesson about chameleons and told them some cool facts about them and that they're not dangerous and they won't kill you. So hopefully, you know, those kids will grow up being less afraid of chameleons and maybe in that one village because of this crazy Azungu who came to their village and <laughs> picked up a chameleon, they will, they'll actually embrace them there. Changing Malawi one chameleon at a time. That is my new motto. I love it. <laughs> If you'd like to support churches in Malawi in a real substantial way, right now we are raising money for church roofs. Every year we try to assist churches by buying metal sheets so they can put them on the roofs of their churches. We don't build church buildings. We believe that the Malawians themselves and the Mozambicans themselves should uh, do the hard work and invest in their own building of making the bricks, building the building. But we want to protect the investment they make in their building by helping them with what most of them can't afford. That is metal sheets to protect the roof. If they just put grass on the roof and have a grass roof on their church building, then when the rains come, the the walls of the church may disintegrate and fall down. Uh, and so that investment they've made in their church building is, is gone. But for just $400 on average, we can put uh, metal sheets on a building that will make it last for years and years and years. And so we are asking people to give, give at $400 that funds one church roof. And it's our goal this year to put 20 roofs on churches. So you can go to gospellife.org slash give and just type in the notes. It's for a church roof and give $400. And in the next few months, before the rains start at the end of November, we're going to be visiting churches, seeing the buildings and helping them put those sheets on the roof. So we've talked about why we did the conference and and what we actually did or what you did mainly. Um, I just preached two sermons and watched the kids. But uh, how did the women respond to having this conference? Um, Well, they they really enjoyed it. They were really thankful. Um, Of course, I got a lot of women standing up and telling how much they loved it. And let me just say for months since we announced we were having it, like for three or four months, they have just been telling me, we're so excited that this is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there were a few that stood up and said that they are, they feel really isolated. Like they're out in remote villages. There aren't a lot of other Christians or, or churches and they've really struggled and that just being there with so many other Christian women and people in their same position of pastor's wife um, was so encouraging to them. And and I was so thankful to hear all of that. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned this already that I'm already, as I'm visiting for different reasons, um, hearing the feedback, we want to do this again, and we want it to be a full week-long conference instead of the mini-conference uh, set up that we did this time. I don't know how we'll fit it in the schedule, but 
Um, people are being very insistent and we'll see, we'll see what works out. Yeah. And we even had, what did I say? Was it seven women, um, who came from Mozambique churches? I think that was correct. Yeah. Yeah. All the way from Mozambique. It was crazy. Um, so yeah, it was interesting in the lower Shiri, they didn't have as many questions for me. And I don't know if you see this in the pastors or not, but there's generally a lower level of education down there. Yeah. And um, they a few times said, like, we don't really have questions. We're just uh, because you were so clear in what you said and we're just thinking about it now. Yeah. I The way you talked about that, it reminded me of the early days I had of, teaching in the lower Shiri mm. where, yeah, the pastors there are have a lower level of education than the pastors we teach in Zamba. And um, a lot of times you'd be teaching and teaching, you'd think they would have a lot of questions and you might have a few questions. And most of those questions weren't even related remotely to what you had just been talking about. Yeah. But then there was a lot of like, they just didn't even know how to ask a question. And, uh, but I've seen that change over the years. They, they've developed to be able to ask better and better questions there. But um, that was my experience early on. Yeah. I hope to see that same change in the pastor's wives as we continue to do this yeah. each year. Um, the one difference though, that they had so many questions for Susan the lower um, Shiri women had more questions for Susan. Yes, so many more. And even a lot of them wanted, because I think they have even less access to medical care down there too, right? Yeah. And um, I think less accurate information that they do get. Mm -hmm. And so they had lots of questions and we even started to go over time and Susan had to go back behind the pavilion and there was a line of women just waiting to ask her their questions privately. Wow. After, I, I think it was while I had started the next session. Yeah. And there's a difference too with the way women are treated and the way women are seen in the two locations. So in the lower Shiri, the, the main tribe is the Sina tribe and it's patriarchal, which means that when they marry, usually the woman will move in with the husband and his family. Mm -hmm. So that means that she had, she, and she's bought with the bridal price. And so she is seen as property yeah. in the lower Shiri. Whereas here we have the Chewa tribe, the Yao tribe, uh, the Lomwe tribe, are all matriarchal tribes. And that doesn't mean that women are ruling, but what it does mean is that when a husband marries, he moves to his wife's village, which does give the women a what's closer to equality with men yeah. than in the lower Shiri. And a better support network with yeah. your you have your you have your there. sisters are all living like you are considered one family and like your your children will call all you, your sisters mama. Yeah. They're not considered aunts, they're considered another mother in yeah. the matriarchal system. Whereas it's very isolating in the lower Shiri for a woman to move to her husband's family and be cut off essentially from her family if it's a long distance. Yeah. And we had a few women in the lower Shiri with just really unique situations. Um, we prayed for one woman who had, um, she had twins, but then one of them died at birth and she had a really like difficult traumatic birth with them. And she was really afraid to have another baby, Yeah. but her husband really wanted her to. And, um, she, at the conference, she thought she might be pregnant. Mm. Um, and she was just really afraid so we were able to try to encourage her with some truth and, and pray over her. Yeah, which you can understand. You know, some of these women are going to rural hospitals for 
giving birth, but a lot of them are giving birth at home. Yeah. Which is not like a home birth in the U.S. No. It's, you know, in a dusty, dirty grass roof hut. Yeah. Um, and with dirty water, you know, if you have anything for, mm-hmm. for the medical side of things, it's just, it's very dangerous. It is. Yeah. yeah. So and we didn't have, we had, so up in the Zomba one, we had more questions for me, mm-hmm. um, about the Bible teaching and a lot fewer questions, some, but fewer for Susan. So that was interesting. Yeah. So in the future, we're going to, Lord willing, keep this going. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? You know, you're going to have some different topics that you maybe would like to get to in the future. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's so many, there's, there's like the whole Bible, (laughs) you know? So. Well, you could do the whole Bible. You could survey the Bible. I could. I mean, I really have, I really just have so many ideas and so many things that I want to teach them and that I want to say and just trying to take the long view, um, you know, where this this year was definitely like, do you know the gospel? Are you sure that you're a Christian? And here are some basic things to like teach the women when you go back to your churches. At first you were pretty nervous about what are you going to say and how's it going to go? And I just kept encouraging you, listen, they've never had anything like this. Like you can't really go wrong. If you just, if you just prepare something biblical and basic, then they're going to love it. And I think they did. And that just gives you more pressure for next time. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really excited. We're, we're all really excited about the future of the pastor's wives conference. Yeah. So I'm sure as some of our listeners continue to pray, we're not sure if we'll do one next year because we'll be going on furlough. It just depends on if we can fit it in the schedule before we uh, go to the U S at the end of June. Uh, But as you're praying, pray for these women, pray for the conference plans for the future. And I'm sure we would love to eventually have some maybe women's groups or a church in the U S join us and sponsor this specifically and be the the ones who really adopt this part of the ministry uh, which it wouldn't be that much um, just we're paying for food and things for the women when they're here but be praying about that and see if the lord lays it on your heart yeah and thanks for listening Now for the greatest segment of all time, <laughs> what you're reading. You want me to go first? I just asked you in the title, oh, what you're reading. Okay. Um, I am about, I think about a third of the way through uh, Anna Karenina. Yeah. I, a fun story. When I was in middle school, I went to the public library And I literally just looked for the fattest book I could find. (laughs) And it was Anna Karenina. And is it bigger than War and Peace? I don't know. It was it was the biggest book I could find in the library. I do know that. Tolstoy too? Yeah. Okay. He liked writing ginormous books, apparently. Yeah. Um so I took it home in middle school and I tried to read it and I didn't make it very far at all. <laughs> I didn't understand what was happening. So, which is probably a good thing for a middle schooler to not yeah. follow. Some adult content. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you say that, but now that I'm reading it, I'm listening to it on Audible and um, it's so good. And it's so, it's so well written and which of course it was written in Russian. Yeah. And so I don't know if part of my problem when I was in middle school was the translation maybe wasn't great. And maybe what I'm listening to now is a lot better and easier to understand translation. I don't know, but I am loving it. And yes. So there's the adult theme of infidelity. Yeah. But but it's not like 
you know, it's not like some trashy romance novel. Yeah, it's like, not glamorizing the infidelity. No, and there's zero details at all. Yeah. Like, it's 0% inappropriate. Okay. Um, Which I really appreciate. And that's only part, that's only one of the the plot lines. It's mm-hmm. not the whole thing. Yeah. And um, it's been really interesting to see... It also talks a lot about Russian culture, which we're a little mm-hmm. bit familiar with from living in Moldova for a few years. And um, just the the way that Russia was changing at the time. Yeah. And that, that all is just really fascinating too. Uh, like I said, I'm only about a third of the way into it, which means I have like 13 hours left. <laughs> Um, but do you listen at real speed or do you speed it up? Oh, I do speed it up. Let me see. I listen to each book at a different speed depending on... It depends on, on the reader. The reader, yeah. yeah. Anna Karenina, I'm listening to it 1.4 speed. Okay. And I have exactly 13 hours left. I'm on chapter 15. Wow. So I just finished a book yesterday, a classic missionary biography of... Adoniram Judson called To the Golden Shore by Courtney Anderson. Mm-hmm. And interesting, Courtney Anderson, I think he's probably passed away now. It's a little bit older. Was a man, not a woman. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just figured that one out. But um, it's a classic, the classic um, biography of Adoniram Judson, who if you're not familiar, was the first American foreign missionary. And he ended up in what was then called Burma. Today is called Myanmar. And it was just fascinating to think of all that they went through. Um, End of the 1700s, early 1800s, you know, traveling across the world, uh, tropical diseases, no antibiotics, you know, all these issues, you know, it's just sickness and death all throughout the book he ended up you know through his lifetime having three wives because two of them died and then the the last one outlasted him but um at the same time just seeing what missions was like in that period just you know his strategy his you know how he's going into a place with no christian background whatsoever and preaching the gospel and teaching and translating the Bible. Um, it's, I think, a must read for anybody going into missions to kind of build their awareness of the history of missions and how things have changed and yet how things stay the same. Interesting. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Gospel Life Go. God provides for the needs of Gospel Life through your prayers and gifts. To become a prayer or giving partner, go to gospellife.org. We hope you join us in glorifying God by growing disciples who make disciples. We hope that you live a gospel life.